Ladies and gentlemen, hello, my name is Gabriel White, and I am here with Scott Powers, and this is the Trial Lawyer Podcast. We are missing here today Danny Sepinich, who usually joins us on these things, and it's definitely our loss. Uh, she wasn't able to make it today, but uh, we're going to try and soldier on. Um, so, Scott, I'm very sorry. Uh, about your loss, your your inability to go to the greatest concert playing in Salt Lake City, perhaps this uh, summer, perhaps of the ages. So Muse is coming? Uh, I'm going to pretend like you didn't say that. Counting Crows, those of you under the age of, what, 30, may never not be aware of their greatness. Um, I'm, I'm still not aware of their greatness. Oh. <laughs> This was like a soundtrack to my high school experience. <laughs> did you did you grow up? Did you grow up I around here? No, I remember. I literally remember <laughs> driving around in Logan, Utah, and we just cruised back and forth. And it was before. I did you like, drive around with Austin uh, Jones? Yeah, I had. I didn't have my. I didn't have my license. My buddy did, and we played Mr. Jones. I'm so sad. It's not a sad song. It's so sad around here. All right, listen to this and tell me if you think... <laughs> the, it, it, listeners, if you, feel free to post in the comments if you think this is a sad song. Sad song, Mr. Jones. Very happy. It is maybe a song about. He still about, he still about, sounds like he's about, complaining about descending from um, descending from uh, happiness into you know dealing with uh, some of the consequences of uh, becoming more popular and more famous, but um, still a great anthem, perhaps one of the greatest anthems. Of, oh, that's of the 1990s. Well, see, here's here's what it. See, the problem we've got is that music is subjective, because every one of us as humans is a roaming human computer. Okay, that, how can that, that, be? It, that is how can wired we, differently how can, and how makes can, decisions based on what can, it ate that day? How can but how can music be subjective? And yet, in classical music, your wife I know is an opera singer. Mm-hmm. Classical music, they have uh, competitions all the time. So how can music? Well, it doesn't mean that a song that they're all playing isn't technically difficult. It could still sound like crap. Schoenberg is a perfect example. He came up with this atonal scale, which sounds like garbage. It sounds like somebody's literally taking a dumpster out, and it's a poorly serviced dumpster that squeaks a lot. Okay, so now you're gonna have to send me a clip of that so I can include that, so our <laughs> listeners can know what that sounds like. Oh, Schoenberg. But uh, Mr. Jones, everything from August and everything after. Um, was amazing. We're covering the satellites. Come on, it's well established that people like different stuff. I mean, the whole idea... That's okay, but there, there is also... People like different stuff, but also objective greatness. 
Ugh. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, like... You're making an argument that Counting Crows is objectively great. Objectively great. You, objectively, you, get, you, got, you got on the one hand... Objectively great. Beethoven's like, ninth. Like, rates... Right, exactly. Created by a genius who couldn't even hear the ultimate product. And then we've got... Does it, why does that... Why does that... The fact that he can't even hear the ultimate product... Why is that a good thing? Like, it's not a good. It's it's amazing that it sounds as good as it does, where it, he could never hear it. He just had to base it on what he recalled. If and he had written, Ra- if he had written Rain if King, he had written, I, like, if, here. if he had written Rain King or A Murder of One, uh, I would agree with you. Is that Beautiful a kind of song? song? Oh, cool. Murder of One. Yes. That sounds like TVMA to me. And well, of course, <laughs> because you're not intelligent enough to understand that no. a group of crows is called a murder. Right? Maybe yeah. that's a Cannon Crows joke? Insider insider info. Anyways, so, so you have to count. It's, it's more than excited. one. Uh, the weather looks good. Well, then would it, wouldn't it be Counting Crow? Even if the... Do even you need if to count if there's one? It, it rains, I will be there. Even if a sinkhole opens up under the auditorium, I will be sitting at the bottom of that sinkhole waiting for the concert to start despite the sinkhole. That, not is, offering, that is true fandom. Not not offering first aid to my fellow attendees, not 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 uh, running around panicking, but waiting to hear uh, the dulcet tones of of the Counting Crows. So, well, okay. So we've obviously established one thing today: that music is subjective. Some people like stuff. I might call it crap. That other people don't like. And Do you some really think? Like wait, stuff. let me just put you on the record. So that, so I'm trying that, to segue. So when the death threats come, they'll at least be justified. Do you actually think the counting crows are, are crap, or are you just being hey, I'm ambivalent, leaning toward I would change the station. Were you more of a Nirvana guy when you were in, uh-huh. in the 90s? Yeah, okay. a little bit more. Well, like the harder stuff. Yeah, I want to, you know, Less bang my break stuff, the, and you didn't have that and, that moody period. No, there was no the mood was was teen angst. It was break stuff as opposed to just brood about it. Brood about it. Okay, maybe I was more of a brood about it kind of guy. Fair enough. Different strokes, different folks. But here's I the guess. thing. So different strokes that leads us perfectly into what our topic is today. Okay. Which is AI and how it applies to law. And I would say that AI, uh, it has a place, I think, in, the, in law, and I'll talk about a little bit why I think that in a bit, but ultimately I don't think it can ever fully replace humans because humans have that subjective component. Like I said, they're, they're making their decisions based on their own special hardware in their brain, and that hardware is, is fueled by a whole lot of random stuff. And that's what makes humans creative. It's what makes them different and what allows you as a lawyer to be strategic and to come up with out-of-the-box thinking that I don't know a computer will ever do. So so you have now made a statement that has a whole bunch of lawyers who are cringing in the back of their offices worried that their practices would be taken over by a computer. Well, and, depends and on what their practice is. Yeah. Well, well, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, they, they're a bunch of typewriter manufacturers that are probably out of business right now, but that doesn't necessarily mean that people don't have jobs. Um, the law, one of the, so the ABA wrote an article somewhat recently wherein um, some of the commentators said that the rule of law, or I'm sorry, the legal profession has historically been a, a pyramid uh, 
uh, structure. Scheme. It is structured, well, not a pyramid scheme. It's been structured like a pyramid, meaning that in a big case, you have people at the very bottom level, and you have lots of them finding the documents, gathering them, and they're, they're typically lower paid, and they don't have to really think all that hard, but their job is to sift through the hundreds of thousands of documents, let's say in an antitrust case, find out what they are, categorize them, and then they go up a level in this pyramid to maybe some, some associates or some junior partners who have to look at it and kind of come up with initial strategy decisions as to what matters, how it matters, etc. And then the guys at the very, very top earning the most money are the ones that decide which of the strategy decisions and analyses to implement when you're presenting your theme at trial. And one of the things that some of these commentators are saying is that it's going to more of a diamond, whereas you'll still have those same top levels, but the bottom level is no longer done by just a vast group of associates or clerks or low-paid people who have to go through every single document. Rather, you have an AI program whose job it is to sift through all the documentation. And the reason they say that is a good thing is because right now, unlike because any other... review sucks. Well, it, it sucks big time, but it's paid a lot of, you know, paid a lot of bills in the past. But the thing is, right now, and this is a statistic that I'm pulling from IBM from, that's quoted in this ABA Journal article, um, 2.5 quintillion bytes of data are created every day and 90% of all this data was created, all the data that we have, was created in the last two years. Mm -hmm. And putting Not that, all of it, but a lot of it. Well, yeah, but, but a lot of the stuff that, for example, in a lawsuit would need to be sorted through. And, and you, we, we're creating data faster than we can put bodies in a, in a warehouse to review documents. Those days are quickly coming to an end. And what instead you have is you have machine learning companies setting up shop Wherein you send them the, you know, four hundred thousand terabytes or whatever of emails and stuff that went into your trade secret theft case, and you have an AI sorting through those to find out which ones are the documents you need to look at, and then you have the next level bringing in their subjective, devious human creative minds to then look at that data and filter it one more time before the very very tip top guys forming the strategy get can make a decision. Now, that's one of the ways it's being looked at. So, but I have a question about that. So, mm -hmm. much like, you know, one of the questions I get asked as a personal injury lawyer, um, who, who fairly regularly gets, you know, car accident cases and, and things like that is, okay, when one of these uh, electric vehicles, automated vehicles, driverless vehicles crashes into something, um, and hurt somebody, who's at fault? Who do, who do you sue? Because well, there, was no, there was no driver. So that's and, a different animal. Well, but let me explain how, okay. how they relate. So, you know, and so it, the answer I usually give is, well, it, it often it, I think it's going to turn uh, tort cases between two drivers into product liability cases. Um, where you're suing the company that made the car or the company that designed the software and you're doing all of that. What happens when, and I, I've been to several of these presentations where these e-discovery companies talk about you know, their program that sifts through data and that, that is able to recognize certain terms and certain search terms. Um, all of them will admit that they have a certain failure rate that they 
you know, because of the quality of the text on some of the documents they may get or because of just a software error in reading it. You know, maybe somebody forgot to put a space between this word and this word. Um, they failed to pick up on... There have actually been lawsuits filed, malpractice lawsuits filed against law firms that used um, electronic discovery. That missed it? In, yeah, in, 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 um, in you know, document review context where something was missed. Now, I think there was also a component of that lawsuit in which the law firm was suing to get their bill paid and there there may be they may have, may have been looking for any basis they could to to respond but i mean it's a real how, how do you how do you deal with that concern from a from a malpractice standpoint well you know i think we have a tendency to just assume that our machines are infallible but you know they're they're not and i think that in any, in any case like this Anytime you talk to somebody who's a big proponent, for example, of that autonomous vehicle thing, uh, you know, they say, oh, sure. it's only a matter of time before autonomous vehicles take over. And then somebody else says, well, yeah, but, you know, what about that, that accident it got into? And then they cite the statistic, well, but statistically, even if it got into that one accident, it didn't plan for it perfectly because it's a very uh, hard to predict world that we live in. It's still a lot safer than your average driver. But, but, but. Tort law, in either case, whether it's doc review or whether it's safer in a in you know an automated driving, that that statistic isn't going to come into evidence. The fact that like well, in, a, in well, an aircraft in an aircraft cra- uh, when an aircraft an airplane crashes due to pilot error, and wow. there's a lawsuit by the by the passengers. The airplane company doesn't get to stand up there and say, look, you can't recover because, hey, if you guys had, had to drive this, you, you would have had a much higher chance no, no, no. I of, I, of, of causing an accident. Well, I think you're, mis- you're misinterpreting my comment. I think okay. what would happen is I think that you're still going to have a product liability lawsuit against a, a potential third-party claim, maybe, against the people who are offering those services. But my point is... I think your 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 insurance is going to cover that just like it would if you did the doc review yourself and you you know there was a series of a thousand documents that you were really really stressed uh, well you were really stressed during the time period wherein you were looking at those thousand documents and you may have missed one or two that are are critical to the case and I think we're getting on maybe a little off topic but one other thing I wanted to bring up is we talk about you know converting tort claims into sort of hybrid product liability claims is that the, I think a lot of the problem with that is going to be from the insurer's side. And maybe I'm not the most qualified person to talk about that because usually I'm suing in search companies. But from the insurer or the manufacturer's side, it is a much, much bigger deal if... You're now the driver too? For example, well, it's, it's a much bigger deal if you, for example... Um, if you're you have a product that is found to be defective and have you have to initiate a recall of say 30,000 automobiles because you know you got into and there, there there's a line I, 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 I can't remember what it is but it's fairly low it's like six or seven 
um, in some in some product categories where if you have enough similar accidents, you have to initiate a recall of all of them to fix I, it. I, I think we're getting versus, a deal, though. Versus, versus, you know, if one of the company executives is on his phone and runs a red light and gets in an accident, well, you know, the cost of that is the insurance pays out and it, it goes down. The cost of it becoming, once it moves into the product liability field, you start to have an accident that could have resulted in a million dollars damage suddenly resulting in hundred million dollars damage. Well, again, I think we're getting a little bit off field because I think that, that you know, how, how AI and, and autonomous vehicles dovetails with the, you know, with the tort. I just think that, I just think that in, as far as malpractice or as far as, as errors go, it raises, in both cases, it raises the stakes for everyone substantially. You know, I don't know that it raises the stakes for an attorney because think about this. If you have a known product who, who has, been, you know, that has been vetted by the company selling it to you and you get authorization, for example, from your client to use that product to streamline the litigation process and ultimately deliver a better result without employing a fleet of 500 people for six months to go through your you know, 40, million dollar, or 40 million documents and you rather you use the AI and it costs you... You know, twenty grand to employ this AI program to sift through everything and to make an initial and you know analytical determination as to what's relevant and what it says and what it means based on the parameters that you work with the designers to come up with, um, and and eventually you miss something or something goes wrong and there's a malpractice case. I think your malpractice insurer is going to be you know facing the same liability you'd face if you had five hundred people and some of them were crappier than some others. Well, but 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 you would have the additional benefit. To go after potentially, it'd be a third-party claim to the provider of that, to the extent you, that it was something that they screwed up on in, you, you know, marketing and providing this uh, service. So I think the risk to a, a law firm is actually lower because of that additional, you know, avenue of recovery in the you, event of a malpractice claim. You, and most of these product, most of these products, and you have to dig a little deep into the documentation to find it. Most of these products have known. Error rates, known failure rates, or and, and that and, could be an and, issue too. And, and is it something that I mean, if you were the decision maker, that you would have the client sign off on a document saying you agree that in order to save you money and time, we're going to use this program, and that it has this failure, this known failure rate, so there is a possibility that a document, you know, that may be relevant or important could be missed, and you accept that responsibility. Um, first of all, can do you think you can um, have the client sign something? Because um, almost sounds like you're waiving malpractice and a malpractice claim in advance. Mm-hmm. And, and if if they if you can, do you think that's something that um, it would be wise for you to do? Well, I think that just like many things as a litigator, you, you have to inform your client to the best of your ability, put the cards on the table, and let them decide what they want to do. Most lawyers are never available when you need them. The Utah Trial Lawyers do things differently. We handle personal injury, commercial and criminal cases, and we take them all very seriously. Other law firms assign your case to a paralegal or secretary and put that person in charge of managing your case. Getting an actual attorney on the phone can be a nightmare. 
no matter how important your case. At the Utah Trial Lawyers, every case is important and every client gets our full attention. We take cases to trial. And for that, you need a lawyer that is paying attention. You need the Utah Trial Lawyers. Each client of Utah Trial Lawyers has their individual attorney's personal cell phone number. You can talk directly to your attorney about your case anytime, day or night. If we do miss your call, we will get back to you within 24 hours. It doesn't matter if you call on a weekend, holiday, during the zombie apocalypse, or the literal end of the world. The Utah Trial Lawyers are here when you need us. And as long as it's their decision, I think you're covered. I mean, your job is to be an effective advocate with all the tools that you have, including your analytical tools, your knowledge of the law, but you're still, at the end of the day, just representing the client, and they're the one that but more don't or less you have, the ship. But don't you have non-delegable duties? I mean, don't you have? Yes, don't I you have, have? Don't you have duties that you can't delegate to the client? And say, hey, I mean, you couldn't put, for example, a clause in your fee agreement that says, hey, you agree that these deadlines that we have on litigation no, are really confusing. And so, and you really, you, well, you, you you understand? You have we might we might miss some of them. And you accept that as a as a unavoidable well, I, consequence. I think there, but there are different there are different things. For example, the doctors we, have pulled that off. Well, they've said you know, maybe that's a possibility. You, know, it, it's, <laughs> you understand that every time we put you under anesthesia, your heart might stop, and there's nothing we can do to stop that. So you agree that that's a known risk and complication. Risk and complication. Well, no, I think it's probably a species of the same animal. Right. Um, or the same genus or whatever. I don't know. Science guy, but uh, yeah, clearly. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, it, it's within the same family. I'm just giving. I'm just giving you a family. Um, but no, it, there. Are, this happens all the time without even any consideration. I should of AI. give. I should give you an easier time today because you don't get to go to the Crown County Girls Council. No, so. yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's sad. We're gonna cut Scott a break. It's rough. Yeah. It's rough. I'm crying. I'm, I'm crying inside. So, so how do you think that? Yeah, <laughs> that, that this AI, other than you know, massive law firm Inc. Um, reviewing, you know, uh, warehouses full of documents. Other than that, how do you think I, that this so will change there, the legal profession? Well, there are two. There, so I didn't get to this, but there are two. There are two types of companies out there trying to get it. You know, trying to get in the door early on the AI bandwagon. Whether or not it ever actually works is another question. I think it is working with regard to machine learning relative to how it, you know, what it determines is relevant in document review when it learns from an attorney, yes, this is the kind of thing I want you to look for, and it kind of changes the way it's looking for stuff, and it goes forward like that. Document review is one thing. There's another subset of these companies that is looking actively to effectively replace lawyers. They're trying to get a, a machine to think like a lawyer. I think they're having less success along that front just because it's hard, you know, given that every one of our cases and everything that we do is pure custom. At least Can you train a machine in pure evil? Well, that's the question. That's I, mean, I mean, can you train a machine in pure evil? That, that is the question, and I think that's the edge that we have yeah, there's the over evil. the machines. Mm-hmm. And I, I, Terminator movies excluded, of course. No, I, I think that that's probably the problem, right? You just the machine is not inherently evil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> without without that inherent evil baked in it from the womb, it can never give can you never, what a live lawyer could give. Can't you. really get to that same lawyerly level that uh, humanity has managed to achieve. Uh, no, I really think it does come, and I think that art 
and music and a lot of these things are based on this. It's the fundamental imperfection of the human computer that makes life so good. And I don't think an AI can ever effectively replicate that. You mean of the of the human brain? Yes. Not and of the not. That, said, well, it's the same thing. of the computer. I said the human computer, which is the human brain, which yeah, is the, and I and I, the, I agree. this the machine that today is is being fueled by chicken sandwiches, and a coke and some fries. I I agree with that. I mean, I think that you know, if you look back through time, could a computer obviously one could now, but could a, a computer back. Um, uh, when they were created, could a, a computer have come up with the works of Jackson Pollock? I don't think so. If it exploded. Why? why well, yeah. <laughs> by, by accident, maybe. But could a computer have realized that, that genius of, of, you know, that completely new style of art and painting and, and, and well, no. come up with that. that no. That's my point. That, 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 that's in, really the saving grace. Into, into intuition. Now, there are some companies that are claiming that they're coming up with, um, with, with AIs, with intuition. Now, if the ones, if they're, if they're talking about the ones present in some of the computer product, consumer products that I've dealt with, they're doing an extremely poor job of it. But, <laughs> um, but I assume that they're, they're working on with more sophisticated, uh, um, um, things, but I think you're right. I mean, I think that the fundamental, you know, at least in litigation and in in, uh, in in trial work, I mean, you never know what you're going to encounter in that courtroom. And so much of being a great trial lawyer is being able to be creative and being able to act on your feet and be able to respond in unexpected ways in. Um, you know, to novel situations. You know, you have a judge that, for some reason, that day, you know, decides they're just not going to follow one of the, you know, some key rule that, that you know, you never could have predicted that they would not follow, and yet now you have to handle that. And oh, um, and empathy, and just all these different variables. That's what I think really insulates. At least for trial lawyers, the trial lawyer podcast, yeah, um, insulates this profession. Yeah, there are some other, some lawyers that might might get hosed by. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, the really the lawyers who aren't using their brain as much as they. Ouch, Scott. Well, Ouch. you know what I mean. I mean, there. I think there are certain lawyer functions that don't require as much creativity as others. You know, if if Grandma June needs a, a will drafted. And she has ten widgets, and they're all different. And she has ten grandkids, and needs a will to say who gets what. It doesn't take a whole lot of legal analysis to come up with a document that says Jimmy gets widget one, Joni gets widget two, Willie gets widget three, and so on. And there's already and there's already programmed. In fact, some of the lawyers that do uh, that, that specialize in those areas use programs that already basically just fill in those blanks and say ask ask the client this question now. but it, but even with those estate planners you you get nuanced uh, estate planning and as soon as it gets past that grandma june has 10 things and she knows exactly where each thing goes sure and will never get more than 10 things once it gets past that level and you start talking about well i don't want willie to know about june's bequest until such and such happens and you get into contingencies and things like that well then yeah i think that you need that human element of creativity 
to kind of jump in here and, and do, I think, what maybe a computer will never be able to do. I could be wrong. Well, and, and there was, you know, and I think there was a reason. I think you're right. I think there was a reason why. I mean, I don't know if you remember the, the, the Young Lawyers Division of the American Bar Association and then our local Young Lawyers Division here in Utah had a program. I don't know if they're still doing it, called Wills for Heroes, where they were preparing. They, they, they would have uh, lawyers volunteer mm -hmm. to prepare wills for first responders, police officers, uh, veterans, and things like that. And, and uh, they would use a computer program. Um, but there were, you know, you had to go to a training first, and there were limitations that were put on it. Like, okay, if the person comes in and they have you know, this amount of property or above, or if they have, you know, if they need to set up a trust or if they need to do anything more complicated than just a very, very simple will, then you need to send them to an estate planning attorney because um, this computer program just isn't going to be able to do it. Yeah, that's a great example. Um, now, who's to say if AI doesn't really get a lot more interesting but I, I still think the fundamental problem that you'll always run into with AI is even a random number generator doesn't really generate numbers randomly that's true and humans sure as heck do because like I said I mean today I'm running on a pretty bird sandwich there's a lot of people that would, they, they would disagree with you in fact there was a there was a there's very interesting um, book Gosh, if I remember it later, I will insert it here into the into the audio that talked about code breaking and no, it's in the it, it's a, a, a fiction a book of fiction but uh, heavily based on reality yeah. called called the Cryptonomicon where they they talked about how um, people's it, decisions can be. People's forecast. decisions can be well, can be forecast so, based on all right, you're getting, preferences, you're getting, preferences well, for no, certain no, no. numbers. And They're trying to do that with advertising already. <laughs> but the, the problem you run into... So that even human beings can't really create ran, truly random numbers. They would have secretarials have spinning, you know, one of those, uh, like, like at a bingo night, one of those things and pulling out little balls that had numbers on them and that was supposed to be as, most, as random as they could. And they found that, you know, towards the end of the shift, they would tend to spin the thing uh, fewer times because they were tired and they would tend to pull out more of the same number and it would become less and less random as time goes on. Well, yes and no. I mean, I think at the end of the day, there are, unless something really wild happens, I don't know that we're ever going to have the computing power to truly take all the variables that exist and forecast like we, we would like to do. Um, and that, that, again, that gets us back to why humanity may be saved by its own imperfection. Mm -hmm. In that be, we don't ever turn into just a purely predicted um, society where we know every detail about everything and, and the future is, is known because it's, it, it can be easily predicted. Well, and it's, and it, you know, and I but think... But it can't. I mean, how... I ate a pretty bird sandwich today, but I mean, how big was the the chicken? Eh, maybe it was this many ounces. Maybe it was a little more. Maybe it was a pretty little bird, less. which how, is sponsored, how spicy was it? it, it which sponsored was a spon sponsor of Scott's uh, Scott's lunch and and a part sponsor of the podcast today, uh, <laughs> apparently. Um, but um, uh, a sponsor that has provided no remuneration whatsoever. 
But no, I think that's that's a good point. I mean, computers, uh, a transistor breaks in a computer and, you know, one transistor goes down and the whole computer goes down, whereas human beings, your brain loses, has neurons die by the millions every day and you can st continue to be able to function. And that ability to work around and the ability of your of your brain to work around problems, to work around you know, what otherwise would be critical failures in a computer system is something that I think, you know, if it can be replicated, it'll be decades and decades and decades before it, before it is. I don't know. I, I just think there's, it's a question of variability or lack of variability. And a computer that's fed on, you know, the same diet and, and it's never going to have that same variability. Yeah. Plus, I, I don't think uh, any of the federal judges in our circuit will ever allow a computer to make an argument. Well, can you imagine that? I think a, just a, out of... An just, AI has out been of, made, in out of, made the judge. It just of, looks at this and throws empathy out. No, I think, says, I, think, I think what you're going to have you is... You ran red light. You I, I think the ultimate savior of the, the, of the... At least the federal litigator is that Article Three judges um, can do whatever they want and... Face no consequences. And face no consequences <laughs> whatsoever, and so they'll be like, "Nope, I'm, I'm, I'm not allowing you to make that argument by computer. Sorry, too bad. Oh well." Yeah. Yeah. Um, well. Well, this has been a very interesting discussion. If you have any comments or any questions for us, or if you agree sure that Cannon Crows is not everything Gabe thinks oh, it is. Oh my gosh! It, it, just for that. <laughs> I'm gonna go out and 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 we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go out here critiquing and analyzing the 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 what I think is probably their their light, least known but uh, um, um, after Mr. Jones probably the best song after from, uh, after Mr. Jones the best song. From that album, which You're is putting that which up is, there as the best. Which is which which is Omaha. Just got up done hearing the Counting Crows play Omaha. Uh, definitely at least the second best song on the August and Everything After album. Uh, a lot of minor uh, chords, a lot of darker tones, but with the hopefulness uh, that comes with um, the uh, kind of end of summer. Uh, beginning of the fall um, with the hope of spring coming again um, and those you can d definitely hear that in uh, the music um, this is not a normal part of our podcast but I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in to the trial lawyer podcast we do try and mix it up every once in a while with some interesting uh, non lawyer content so enjoy uh and hope you subscribe through itunes or whatever your preferred platform is thanks <laughs>